Welcome to The Link Church. We pray this week's message inspires you to have a meaningful relationship with Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, who's glad to be here in church? Who's the most glad in the room to be here in church? All right, we've got one for Ash. We've got, who else reckons they're the most glad? All right, we've got four media team at the back. You guys are all apparently miserable to be in church. Uh, That is going to change very shortly because i got some good news. I'm the most glad to be in church. It's me. I spent four months, end of last year, start of this year, no voice, couldn't sing, couldn't do anything. But now I am back. And to kick it all off, I get to preach about one of the most amazing topics in Scripture. And that is worship. If you don't know, worship is when we get to glorify God, often through song like we did up here. And it is the most awesome thing imaginable. And I use the word awesome in a very literal sense, like I'm in awe of the fact that we get to worship. Like here is God, the guy that made heaven and earth perfect in everything that he does, holy and mighty and exalted and like so above whatever we could think or imagine or even conceive in our heads. And he lets us, the sinful, messy humans that we are, come together and sing our dinky little songs and make our mistakes on the guitar and hit the wrong button on the pedal. Don't worry about it. And he calls that a blessing to him. And he got, and not just in this vague, oh, great, they're worshipping me out there somewhere kind of way. He wants to come in and listen to what's happening in the room. When we're worshipping, we have the opportunity to encounter him in a very, very real and tangible way. And I'm honoured to be able to get up on this platform, grab my guitar, sing my dinky little songs and encounter God in a very, very real way each and every week. Or at least that's how it goes down most weeks. I've got to be honest with all of you. <laughs> Some weeks I get up on this platform, I sing my heart out, I walk off, and I am just as much of a mess as I was when I walked on. Just as hurt, just as broken, just as desperate for God. And if I'm really going to be honest, newcomers, please block your ears, this doesn't concern you. But for the rest of yours, I know that you are just as miserable as I am some weeks. I climb off this platform, I look around the room, and you all look like you've reached into a box of favourites and pulled out a cherry ripe. Yes. <laughs> Crunchy for you. <laughs> you all got that, ah, oh, that's it. And it's... Like, there's a face that we make when we encounter the presence of God. It is not the face that we make when we bite into a lemon. But some weeks it just happens. We come in, we're desperate to meet with God and just nothing. And if I'm honest, I reckon that it's doing our heads in. I mean, it's driving me crazy. Like, because on the weeks that I am desperate to encounter God, I climb up here and I'm trying to sing and encounter God and I walk off here and I feel like I've missed him. We're caught in between this back and forth of going, God, you love me. God, I encountered you. God, I'm so blessed to be in your presence. And then six weeks of nothing. We come in here and we're on fire for God and we've got his presence in our lives and we're going, yeah, God, you're amazing. I can sense you in this place tonight. And then some weeks, nothing. And this is a really, really dangerous thing and it affects every single one of us. I don't care if you've been in here for one week, if you've been in here for 10 weeks, this is something that you're going to go through. Whether you've been in the church for a long time, whether you're a long, hardcore Christian, whether you're on the worship team, this is still going to happen to you. You hear all the amens from the worship team. doesn't even matter if you're a pastor. You're going to go through these periods of dryness. And that's actually where it gets really dangerous because these guys can come up with weird things called theologies. (laughs) It makes sense. 
we're rational human beings. We think we've got it all together. So when something goes wrong in our lives, we take that step back and we go, all right, what went wrong? If we someone, see someone get mauled by a tiger, we go, all right, what did they do? I'm not going to do that. And so we do the same thing in worship. We take that step back and we go, all right, what songs did we sing? What happened in pre-prayer? What happened during the sermon? What brought in the presence of God? And then what was different on the weeks where God wasn't in the room? And the issue is that we look at these patterns and we come up with rules and then we turn them into a theology. And we package that as the key secrets to worship. But some of the rules that we come up with, I think, are quite daft, if I'm honest with you. I've heard some really strange ones over the years. Like, I've heard people very seriously tell me, you cannot sing old songs. Old songs, not anointed. What happens is a song comes out and God loves it. And then after three years, he's like, no, I'm bored of that. Play something else. But at the same time, I've heard the complete opposite teaching. God loved all music up until 1976, and then he decided, no, all of this is garbage. (laughs) Apparently, God is Gen X. (laughs) I've heard all sorts of things. You can't include these 10 no-no words. If you've got a no-no word in your worship song, it's not real worship. Or you've got to have these five words in your worship song to make it real worship. And the issue is, I don't see any of that in Scripture. I see a Bible that tells us six times, sing a new song to the Lord. He's got no issue with the new song. And I see the same Bible saying that there has been a song in the courts of heaven since before time began. If he had an issue with the old song, he would have said, change your tune. It's been over 6,000 years. Can we have something else? But I don't see that. And I see this book is so liberal with the word worship that it would get you thrown out of church. I was reading a parable this week in Mark where Jesus called begging worship. Begging for stuff was called worship. The Bible isn't concerned with the themes of the worship song we sing. It's not concerned with uh, all the weird, nitty-gritty stuff that we get ourselves into, like this weird loop of wondering, is this real worship? Is this not real worship? And don't get me wrong, I'm not having a go at people that are trying to set vision for worship. If you're running a worship team and you want to take them somewhere specific, that's great. That's awesome. If you're an individual and you want to try and optimize your worship, by all means, brilliant. But you've got to understand that these are things that work for you. They're not universal rules for everyone's worship. The only place we can get universal rules for worship is from the inside of this book here. This is God's word to us where he tells us how worship should be done. And without that, what happens is we come in here on a Sunday and we're so busy marking items off our checklist to make sure that we've had real worship that we forget that the presence of God is right there. And I know this is an issue because it affects me. On the weeks where I climb up and I go, wow, I'm not really feeling the presence of God today, two things can happen. Either I pull myself out of that hole and remember that God is actually in the room or I get stuck in my checklists, freaking out, panicking, going, what have I missed, what have I missed, what have I missed? And my fear is that we're going to get so caught in these checklists and these, uh, our own understandings of what worship should be, we, should, we forget that God has actually told us how we're supposed to do this. So I'm wondering, what if we dusted off this old 2,000-year book? What if we rubbed the coffee, coffee stain off it, opened it up, saw what God had to say about how worship should be done? What if we tried to do worship God's way? What would that even look like in the modern day church? And could it be that God's way of doing worship is actually easier than anything that we could come up with on our own? 
more freeing than any rules that we could invent, much more liberating than trying to mark items off a checklist and renewing us to new strengths in him. After weeks of researching, I'm convinced that it is. And so I want to share that with you, and I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that is going to blow this thing open for you. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you open, turn to Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, don't stress, we've got the big one on the screen. Now, to give you a bit of context for where we're reading, uh, it follows the tale of Paul and Silas, who are two apostles. They're two people sent out by Jesus to preach the gospel to all the world. And they're in this city called Philippi. And as they're getting up to preach and tell people, you know, Jesus loves you, God came down in human flesh, died for your sins, paid a price that you could never pay on your own so that you could be in a relationship with him. You don't have to pay the price for your mess-ups. He's done it all, and all he wants is relationship with you. Anyway, that's what Paul would be preaching, except that out of nowhere, this demon-possessed girl walks up and just starts screaming over the top of them. These two men are sons of the Most High God! And Paul... He's old school. He's not worried about someone screaming. He's going, I've got a voice louder than you. I'll scream over the top of you, Andrew. (laughs) But this goes on for hours and hours and hours, and he's busy trying to preach to the people of Philippi, trying to stir them up and inspire them to understand that God actually loves them. And all the while, he's got this demon-possessed slave girl screaming over the top of him. And so around about the mid-afternoon, he gets really upset and frustrated and his voice is sore and he's tired. And so rather than screaming some more, he turns to her and casts the demon out. For the first time in her life, this girl has been set free. Her thoughts are her own. She's able to decide her own actions. And she's finally free from the pain and the misery of demonic possession. Except that the people of Philippi didn't see it that way. What they saw was a young girl who used to be the town psychic who is no longer able to interact with the spiritual world. And so rather than celebrating her freedom, they decided to attack Paul and Silas. And that's where we read from today, verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. Apparently, I have to make changes to a paragraph on the opposite side of my notes. Brilliant. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape, and in those days, the jailer paid with their life if the prisoners escaped. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly... There was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. I don't think you're as excited about this as I am, so I'm just going to read that again and hopefully it sinks in this time. Verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening All right, we're going to come back to that. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Don't miss what is in this scripture. 
Church, there is a worship that breaks open doors and destroys chains. There is a worship that can literally bend the laws of physics. Today we're supposed to be talking about some kind of fresh worship, but I don't think it gets any fresher than a worship that is going to break open doors and destroy chains. And sometimes I think we get comfortable with our way of doing worships. We get used to the goosebumps and the crying and the ooey-gooey feelings. And by all means, like I love that stuff. I've been delivered from so much in the ooey-gooey and the crying and the feelings. If that's your story, please celebrate what God has done in your life. But if it is possible to see a kind of worship that is going to break open some literal doors and destroy some chains, and I want that. I want to keep worshipping until I can start to see God to move like he did in the book of Acts. I want God to be so strong in our worship that his presence in this room alone starts to set people free. I want to see people free from addictions, free from sickness, free from unhealthy patterns of thinking. I want to see them set free from compulsions. I want to see them set free from every disease on this earth. Because when the presence of God sweeps through a room, lives begin to change. Are you happy if I preach this for a minute? Not fired up enough yet. All right, I'm going to give away the whole point of my scripture here, but I just feel like I've got to go here. Fresh worship is the worship that brings the presence of God into the room. Now, I've been playing music for a very, very long time. I've played guitar for 15 years, studied as much as I can about it. Let me tell you, there is no note on that fretboard that cures cancer. I've been singing for a long time. There is no vocal run or lyric that I can sing that is going to cure depression. Like, I don't have that ability in me. I started playing piano and drums. And let me tell you, no piano flourish, no drum solo is going to be able to cure cancer. Like, there's just not that capacity on an instrument. But you take any of those elements and you submit it to God in worship. And any one of those things could be the thing that brings the presence of God into the room. And let me tell you, He is the end of every sickness, every disease, of all anxiety and all depression. All worship has the potential to bring miracles. So if we're going to be seeking some kind of worship, can we make it the kind of worship that we see in the book of Acts? The the worship that ushers in the presence of God. Can we be bold enough to worship God until we start to see lives change? Until we start to see the city out there start to change? I believe that we can. I am fully convinced that it's possible. And I think making it happen is actually way easier than you think. The template that Paul and Silas are using in this scripture is super, super simple. It's not complicated. Anyone in this room can do it. All we've got to figure out is when we're supposed to be worshipping and how. That's it. If you can catch those two things, when and how, then you'll be able to worship in a way that opens doors and breaks chains. That's all you need. So let's figure it out together. I'll walk you through the scripture. We'll figure out what the pattern is. And then can we worship until we start to see heaven break out in this city? Because there are people out there that need God. So firstly, the when. When should we be worshipping? Paul and Silas in this passage are in prison. And not one of these fancy Nordic prisons with the bed and the television and the Xbox and three different chapels just in case one of them doesn't have your particular brand of Christianity. Like, this is a Roman prison. Think no windows, made of stone, uncomfortable, underground. Um, The only furniture that you're going to have in the room, if you're lucky, is a bench, maybe some hay, and a bucket to share. And to top it all off, Paul and Silas had just been beaten 
which in those days was to be within, inch and of, within an inch of their lives. So not only are they in this horrific place, they're in agony. And yet, Paul and Silas, absolute hooligans, decide that this is the perfect opportunity to just start singing out at the top of their lungs with everything that they have. They've got no microphones. They've got no words. It's cold. They're in agony. And may I remind you, it is midnight. Like, this is sleepy, sleepy time. I don't think any of the other prisoners would have been too pleased about being kept up by these two hooligans screaming at the top of their lungs about some weird guy named Jesus. Right, Paul and Silas are in danger. Any one of those guys catches them in the corridors, they're probably going to get shanked. And yet, they decide that this is what fresh worship is going to take. And I think that's what fresh worship is going to take for us. If we want to encounter God outside of these four walls, we're going to have to get used to worshipping God outside of these four walls. If God is still good when we leave this room, then we need to praise him when we leave this room. Paul made a huge deal of this. Later, he gets out of prison and then he gets arrested again and then he decides, you know what? Rather than screaming out the top of my lungs, I'm going to write some letters. And he writes to the Hebrews and in chapter 13, he says this, verse 15. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. There's no fancy trick with the Greek going on here. That word continual means continual. Like we should be constantly ready to sing out to him. And I think for us in our day today now, that means worshipping him daily. Paul and Silas, they were super dedicated to this lifestyle of continuous daily worship. So much so that they were willing to sing out in prison, even if they were at risk of being shanked on top of beaten and bruised and having to share a bucket, which I cannot get over. That is disgusting. And yet for us today, even those of us on the worship team, even if you're a pastor, it is so easy to get caught up in the busyness of life and just go Sunday to Sunday without any worship in between. One of the most convicting things that I've realized this week is that as people who know God personally, there are three ways that we can encounter him here on earth. Number one is prayer. Number two is scripture. And number three is worship. Now, you tell a Christian that they should be reading their Bible and they should be praying every day. They go, yeah, that makes total sense. I've had this hammered into me since I've been in church. Whether or not we do it, different story. We all fall off and we all have difficulties in our day-to-day lives and we get busy. But we all at least agree that we should be praying and we should be reading our Bibles every day. But you tell a Christian that they should be worshipping every day and it's an eye-opener. It's like for the first time you've opened the door on what worship can be. And the truth is we shouldn't be waiting until Sunday to worship. You have God inside of you. You can worship him anytime, anywhere. If you've got spare time, you have an opportunity to worship him. Day or night, in your car on the way to work, in your car on the way from work, on the school run, in your bedroom late at night when no one's listening. Wait till everyone's asleep, then just put on some worship jams, sing out to him. Amen? You could be in your house cleaning. We've all got Spotify now. You flick that up on the telly. Great. You've got worship pouring into your home. It's awesome. I promise, if you start to worship God daily, you're going to start to encounter him daily. And your life is going to start changing daily. But we're so busy in the humdrum of life that our lives are only changing Sunday to Sunday and we're only encountering him Sunday to Sunday. And here's the truth. 
Spending time with him every day of the week does two things. Number one, it takes the pressure off Sunday. If you've encountered him Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you miss him Sunday, great, no hassles. I've still encountered God six times this week. It doesn't matter. But secondly, because the pressure's off, you don't have to spend all this time hyping yourself up with weird rituals, trying to shake off the week so that you can enjoy the presence of God. You just get to let go and go, God, I've been talking to you all week. Let's go. So we all agree that we should be worshipping daily, amen? But how? And I think this is the million-dollar question. What should we be singing in worship? And for that, let's go back to that passage again. Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, the word in the NLT gets translated to hymn because the Greek word is hymnos, and so hymnos has a very literal analogy in English, hymn. Um, but it's important to remember that when we made that transition from Greek to English and hymnos became hymn, English started to evolve a little bit after that. We've changed our understanding a lot of a lot of words. And so now we think of hymn in a way that wasn't true to the original language. So hymnos literally just means a song that you sing with your mouth. Any song that comes out of your mouth is hymnos. The songs that we sang at the start of the service, hymnos. Things on, that you hear on the radio, people making noises with their mouth and singing about all kinds of things. Hymnos. It doesn't have to be slow or use the Gregorian harmony system. Like any song that you can make with your mouth, hymnos. And so that's why a lot of other translations will actually translate this as song. So if we were reading this in a probably more modern context, we would say around midnight, Paul and Silas were singing, were praying and singing songs. doesn't narrow it down a whole lot. They were singing songs. But I think that's the point. It doesn't once mention what songs they were singing specifically. It just says that they were singing. And I think that's the point. It doesn't matter what they were singing, just that they were. It doesn't matter what exact lyrics they were singing, it matters who they were singing to. We get so preoccupied and concerned with making sure that we're singing the right songs. You click on YouTube, you're going to have a million BuzzFeed-style articles with the five words you can't use in worship, the five words that you must use in worship. But I really believe that God is less concerned with what we sing to him than the fact that we sing to him at all. God is a perfect God. He doesn't need our songs to be perfect. He's good enough for both of us. And he would rather that we just lift up an imperfect song with slightly incorrect theology to him in all sincerity of our heart then I sit there on Spotify constantly scrolling, trying to find exactly the right song with all the perfect theology and including the entire Apostles' Creed before we can start worshipping him. God just wants to spend time with you. He's not worried about can you fill out this exam on what makes worship worship. He just wants to spend time with you. He loves you. He loves his children. He wants to spend time with his kids. And this should be good news for you. If you're in here and you're super old school, uh, Actually, no one in here looks quite old enough, I'll be honest with you. Like, I'm talking, if you think the Maranatha Gospel Choir are a bunch of young hooligans that need to be put in their place, if ancient hymns are too hip for you, then go ahead, put on your favourites, throw on Amazing Grace, How Great Thou Art, and All Things Bright and Beautiful, and see what happens. I promise you that God is going to come into that room, and he's going to meet you where you are, and he's going to be so overjoyed to listen to his child singing something out to him. 
Similarly, you could be on the complete other side of the spectrum. You could be too cool for all of that. You could be sitting on Spotify for hours, constantly refresh, refreshing, hoping that the latest Swedish, Nordic, metalcore, Christian rock album is going to drop. Go for it. Flick it on. Pull up those lyrics. Sing it out to God with everything that you, that you have inside of you and see what happens. I promise you this. That same God that came and enjoyed Granny's Gregorian classics is going to show up in that room and he's going to meet you where you are. Because the truth is, God wants to meet with his children. And if you don't have a worship, maybe you don't have a worship playlist. Maybe you only know one song. Sing it out with everything that you've got. Although I will say as a quick side note, if you are wanting to take your next steps in worship, please come and see one of the members of the worship team. We've got months of recommendations. Like if Raven and I give you our playlist, it's going to take you two to three months to go through it. She'll give you all the good gospel stuff. I'll give you some weird jazz. You cover all your bases. It's going to be awesome. If you want to take nine steps at once, go see Beck. And she will give you every worship song that has ever been written from the 14th century to now. Be forewarned, if you put that on, you will not get through it before Jesus gets back. I swear that thing goes from church Latin to that Swedish metalcore album that hasn't dropped yet. But at the end of the day, just sing out whatever songs that you have available to you. God loves you, and he loves spending time with his children, and he loves to hear our worship. And I'm worried that sometimes we just get so obsessed with trying to find God intellectually with our checklists and making sure that we've hit all the right notes. Like we're singing the right songs, we're coming together on the holiest day. We've taken the worship, the gift that God gave us, and we've limited it by what we're thinking. We think that it's something that can only come from a certain decade, must include some certain number of compulsory words, and can't contain any of these no-no words. But we've limited what God gave it gave to us and made it about our theology. We're so desperate to find him in fresh songs that we miss fresh worship. Because fresh worship is this, the worship that we offer God when we're alone with him. When it's just us and him, what songs will you, are you going to sing to him? When it's from the heart, what songs are you going to sing to him? Are you going to sing to him because a worship leader told you to? Or are you going to sing out to him because you get to? So instead, I'm asking this. What if we went out and worshipped daily? What if in our cars on the way to work, we cried out to God? What if the sound that billowed through our homes was one that constantly glorified Him? I think if we did that, we would start to experience, we would see people can't even wrap our heads around. We would start to see those doors fly open that we can't explain. We would see people that had previously been bound in chains, physical, spiritual, literal, whatever, break free. And that's only going to happen if we get used to worshipping God outside the four walls of this church. And because of that, to top it all off, our Sundays would just become that little bit sweeter. We wouldn't have to get in here and sing a praise song to try and break off whatever's happened during the week and play catch up with God. Instead, we'd just be able to relax and focus on getting deeper into his presence and falling deeper in love with him. All of this is possible. It's easy. It's as simple as just letting go and singing out from the heart whatever song you've got in, in mind. So can I ask you, just bow your heads. Focus in on God. And let's seek him. Now the Bible says this, that if we are truly his disciples, Jesus will come and live inside of us. And the Holy Spirit also. And I know sometimes we don't feel like it, sometimes we feel unworthy, sometimes we feel like we're 
too hurt and too far gone to be able to appreciate his presence. But the reality is he is truly with us. And so when we worship him, wherever we are, he's already there. Father God, we thank you for the gift of worship. We thank you that we get to encounter you, the holy, perfect, almighty God, and that you say that you're blessed by our worship. God, we want to lift you up in new and unexpected ways. God, give us the boldness to sing songs out to you when we can't wrap our heads around who you are, when we're bored, on our way to work, on our way from work. God, give us the boldness to sing your songs out in the street. Give us a new appreciation for who you are, for your anointing and for your presence. You know, just as we're sitting here, I've come around and I've shared my thoughts about what it's like to worship a God that loves us, that cares for us. But maybe you don't know God like I do. If you're sitting in here and you don't know that there's a God out there, can I be the first to tell you that? If you're in here and no one's ever told you that God doesn't hate you, he loves you, that he died for you, that he saw that you could never make your own way to him and so he came down and met you all of the way, not halfway, he came and met you on your side. Can I be the first to tell you that? Maybe you've never worshipped God like I've worshipped God. Maybe you've never worshipped God like we've worshipped God, but can I tell you, he is making that opportunity available to you. He loves you, he cares about you, and he wants to see you grow, and he wants to see you walking into relationship with him. So I want to make this opportunity clear to you, and just keep your heads bowed, keep your eyes closed. This isn't between you and anyone else. This isn't between you and me. I'm not going to call you out by name. I'm not going to drag you out the front and berate you in front of everyone. This is purely between you and God. In a second, I'm going to pray. I'm going to offer my life back to Jesus. And if you want to be included in that prayer, if you want to know a God that you can worship for his holiness and his goodness, can I ask you to be bold? And can I ask you to raise my hand? If you want to experience a relationship with Jesus whether you've never experienced one before, whether you've walked away from the faith, it's time to come home to God. So if that's you right now, can I get you to raise your hand? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. You can stick him straight down. I see that hand. Amazing. It's amazing to come back to God and know that he loves you no matter how far you've fallen off. Father God, we thank you for your presence in this place tonight. We thank you that you are inspiring people to come back into relationship with you. That you're inspiring people to love you like you love them. Lord, I ask that as this week goes on, you would make your presence so real to them, so known to them. Father God, that you would reveal yourself to them in every part of their day. Lord, be with them. Send your Holy Spirit to cover them over their lives. And Lord, we will do everything that we can to walk with you in the mighty exalted, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. So we've talked about worship tonight and we thought we'd end things a little bit differently. Um, there's no point in sending you guys out to worship if you don't know any worship songs. So what the worship team and I have done is we've picked probably our favourites out of all the songs in history. Easy to pick up, easy to learn, easy to sing out and we pray that you would take them with you into this week. Amen. Why don't you jump to your feet? Thanks for being with us. We hope this message leaves you stirred to a place of action. If you made a decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, need more resources or want to take your next step, linkthechurch.org has everything you need. Until next time, from everyone at the Link Church, God bless.